Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on Words of Grace, we're going to play a portion of a message that I delivered last week at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church on the subject of the afterlife. Now, that phrase or term, afterlife, isn't a biblical phrase. Scripture speaks about life after death in one of two places, but that terminology is more of a cultural term than it is a biblical term. Suffice it to say, most people believe in some sort of an afterlife, and because of that, it's all the more crucial for Christians to base their opinion on what happens after a person dies upon the Word of God. This is a great follow-up to our recent series on salvation and the roles of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in salvation, because as God the Father has chosen us, God the Son has redeemed us, and God the Spirit has quickened us, after we die, after our souls leave our bodies, we go as the redeemed of God to be with Christ in glory, awaiting the resurrection of the dead. We hope that today's message is informative to you, and we hope that we frame our understanding on the afterlife, life after death, upon the Word of God. Here's today's message, entitled, The Afterlife. I've entitled my message today, The Afterlife, because believing in some sort of life after death is not unique to Christians. So you and I would talk about the death of God's people, and we would describe where they go after this life to be heaven and immortal glory. We would say they died and went to glory. We would say they've gone on to be with the Lord, which is far better. There are so many different things that we could say, different phrases that we could use, terms that we could use to describe what happens when we die. But I've chosen the word afterlife because as people... Christians and non-Christians, an overwhelming majority of people believe in some sort of an afterlife. And so the concept of an afterlife is not unique to Christians, but what Christians believe about the afterlife is unique. So let me say that again. Believing in an afterlife is not unique to Christians, but what Christians believe about the afterlife is unique. I did some studying this week on statistics, and, you know, that can be a dangerous thing. According to Pew Research, 61% of Americans believe in both heaven and hell. 13% beyond the 61% of Americans believe in heaven only. And that's a little staggering to know that that many people, you know, 13% of 300 and something million people believe in only heaven. So they would be effectively either universalists or no-hellers. They would believe in no hell. Now, this one is depressing and a little bit scary. One percent believe in hell only. How terrible must life be if I go through this life believing in only a place of torment after death? That would be awful. That would be life with no hope. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So if you add up those statistics, it makes about 75 percent of Americans who believe in some sort of 
of traditional afterlife. Beyond that, there's actually a small percentage of people in our country who believe that we do continue to exist in some sort of metaphysical, mystical energy sense after dying. I don't know how to quantify that or define that for you, but I guess they just believe when your body dies, you just have some sort of -of out-of-body experience as conscious, animated energy for all of eternity. Maybe that's what people mean when they talk about sending positive vibes your way. Maybe they're sending positive energy toward you. There's a lot of different ideas, but human beings generally believe in life after death. But I find it interesting that an overwhelming majority of people believe in some sort of an afterlife. Now, we should get all of our doctrine from the Bible. Amen? But with issues folks commonly have an accepted position on, it's even more crucial that you and I as Christians turn to Scripture for clarity. And so, to give you a sentence that you might want to focus on, it's important to frame our understanding of death and afterlife from the Scriptures so that we have a biblical perspective on what happens when we die. We don't base our understanding of death and life after death on what we see in movies or what we read in books. Now, I'll remind you of the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Scripture truly furnishes us unto all good works and is profitable for doctrine. Every few years, some Christian will write a novel to give you greater insight into what happens when people die than you get from the Word of God. And they become bestsellers because we are intrigued with death, aren't we? It's something we are all walking towards. You say, I don't want to keep walking that way. You don't have a choice. You have to continue growing older until one day you breathe your last breath, and that is it for all of us. And we'll comment on that in just a moment. We all will die. It is a part of life. If we think on that, sometimes it causes us despair, depression, to think about how much of your life is behind you compared to how much of your life is before you. We don't base our understanding of life after death on what we get from books that Christians write, from movies that we see. Let me just say this. Rather than simply saying those books shouldn't frame our understanding on what happens after we die. Let me take another step. You and I should not read the books that men write claiming to give you some new revelation on what happens after we die because it's not Scripture. And nearly in every single case, eventually, years after the publishing of those books, it comes out that the author simply made it up or maybe took a dream that a child had when he was in a coma and twisted it out of proportion, made a bunch of other details up about it, published a book, made millions of dollars. Remember, the love of money is the root of all evil. God's word truly furnishes you. Whatever God would have you to know about what happens after you die is in the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, you do not need to believe it. It is dangerous. And so all of these, you know, books that talk about, well, I died and went to heaven for 90 minutes, or I died and went to hell, and I've come back to warn you all. Please understand that the Bible is the only source of information as it relates to death and life after death. 
Anything other than that ought to be viewed with extreme alarm, suspicion, caution, and outright condemnation because God does not speak in that way to people today. God doesn't give new books of the Bible. If that were something we take authoritatively, then you would need to put it in the back of the Bible. Do you remember the curses in Revelation not to do that, not to add, not to take away? We don't need to do that. It's dangerous. And so anytime somebody says, I've got a new book, I died, and I want to have TV interviews about it, you know what I do? Turn the TV off. I got a new book. I want you guys to read it. How much does it cost? There you go, 20 bucks. I'm not giving you 20 bucks. I'm not giving you a spot in my mind. You're propagating something that is dangerous. And I will say, not true. Now, there was someone that Paul references that was caught up to the third heaven, whether in a body or in the spirit, he didn't know. And he saw things that were not lawful to be uttered, meaning that it's not something you can even do. And so if somebody says, I died and went up to heaven, let me tell you all about it. You just got a verse right there to say, it's not lawful to be uttered. If it really happened, keep it between you and Jesus. More than likely, it didn't really happen. Somebody wants to sell some books. That's usually how that turns out in 10 years after the publishing of the book. Fact number one, all human beings will die. Now, if that sends you into a panic this morning, please understand the gospel message that you who love the Lord, when you die, it's okay. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It is going to be okay because the Lord Jesus Christ defeated death on your behalf. But the fact that all human beings will die, this is something that, you know, they talk about life and health in such a way in this world that, you know, if you eat too much bacon, you're going to die. Well, yeah. Don't drink coffee because you're going to die. Yeah. Don't do this, you're going to, don't do that, you're going to die. If you have too much carbohydrates, don't have that Coca-Cola, you're going to, you know what? If you have no bacon, no coffee, no Coca-Cola, no joy in life, you're still going to die. Now, you might prolong your life a little bit. In my mind, I'm like, you know what? Two of my grandparents died of cancer. Several people in my family had dementia. Could I trade the last five years of life that I might have dementia in a nursing home for bacon? Would you make that trade? I think I would make that trade. Somebody amen that. I mean, really, right? We like, we like to enjoy life. You know, the way that health people put it, you better walk, uh, you know, you get your 5,000 steps in a day, 10,000 steps in a day, because if you don't, you might die. If you walk 20,000 steps a day, one day you're eventually going to die. I remember as a little boy, there were all these gurus that made it on a TV. We're, we're learning how to live and eat in such a way that we're not going to die because we have learned how to stop the process. Guess what happened to them? They all died because everyone will die. This is something that according to Romans chapter 1, even the wicked of this world has to see and understand. That they which do such things are worthy of death. The wrath of God against all unrighteousness is revealed from heaven. How is the righteousness of God revealed? From faith to faith in the gospel message. From faith to faith. A man with faith preaching it to a person who's been given faith to believe it. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of sin in that all human beings die. 
Now, why do all human beings die? Well, notice the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans chapter 3. In Adam's sin, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, Romans chapter 5. Because Adam is our father, and because we were conceived in the same state Adam was in at the conception of his first child, that is sin, every single one of us is a sinner, and because every single one of us is a sinner, every single one of us will die. Point number two under two facts is that humans have what we refer to as an immortal soul, for lack of a better term. Now, please understand that what we receive at the new birth is eternal life, and in him only is immortality. And he brings life and immortality to light, but we use that word immortal soul in a different sense as we talk about the fact that when a human being's body dies, their soul continues to live in one of two places, at least awaiting the resurrection when their bodies are raised. And we refer to this concept as a theological concept as the immortality of the soul. Why, though, does man have what we refer to as an immortal soul? Genesis chapter 2. Now, in the creation account, we read that God created man in whose image? In the image of God created he him. Mankind, as far as man, I don't mean male, because God created man, male and female created he them. Okay, So if you are male or you are female, and by the way, those are the only two. If you are male or you are female, you are mankind. You are Adam. Sometimes that word Adam is used for man and mankind, and Adam is male or female. You, whether male or female, man or woman, aged or young, you are Adam. We are all Adam multiplied. If you've got light skin, if you've got dark skin, if you've got pink skin, that's Josh. If you've got in-between skin, you are Adam. The word Adam means red, ruddy. It's believed that he probably had a dark red complexion. And from him, every single person in this world came into existence. Adam was made in God's own image different than the beasts of the field, different than the fowls of the air, different than the fish of the sea, the creeping thing, the insect, the grass, the trees. Adam is different than every other thing that God created. Now, this to me is significant, and I believe that it's the reason for the immortality of the soul. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground... And this is exclusive to humanity. You don't have this with any of the other creatures. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. The Geneva Bible words it into his face. Well, into his nostrils. The breath of life. And he became a living soul. When he became a living soul, that life that he had is different than the life of all the other things in creation because this life is made after God's own image. And as a part of that, becoming a living soul at death, even though the body dies, 
The souls of men live on after the body is deceased. We continue to live. Now, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes would remark on that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's just start with verse 19 to show you how he's speaking about death. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Every one thing befalleth them as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. And what Solomon is lamenting there is that people die just like animals. We die. Animals die, we die. But there's a difference in humanity. All go into one place, referring to the body, all are dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth that the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward into the earth? In other words, you don't know that by reason, you know that through Scripture, and you know that by faith, who knoweth? But notice what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes about the difference in men and beasts. When a beast dies, it ceases to exist. But humans have a spirit that goes up. Now, to clarify on that from the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, the point of this chapter is to bring everything to a conclusion He's talked about death, he's talked about riches and how you hoard money and die and leave it to somebody who squanders it like a fool, people who live like paupers in the world, people who work really hard and have no anything to enjoy, and people who are lazy and won't do a thing. He's given you balance throughout life, and he gets to the sum of it all, and he says to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. That's what's important about life. But he talks about remembering God in your youth before you are old before the grinders be few, before you don't have any teeth, before the windows are closed, before you can't see. And he says, Then shall at death dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. What happens to the spirits of men when men die? They don't just go to oblivion and cease to be. The spirits go to God who gave it. The spirits of men go to God. Now, this brings us to the next point as far as what happens to the souls of men between death and the resurrection, and this is intermediate states. An intermediate state or an interim state just has reference to where your soul is between your death and the resurrection. God doesn't put your soul in a jar. God doesn't put your soul in a pitcher. Your soul doesn't sleep in your body. Your body is asleep. At death, but your soul continues, and the state in which it continues is an interim state. Now, here is where Christianity takes a turn, if you will, at a fork in the road from contemporary American thought. Contemporary thought says, well, when you die, you just, you know, if you've done enough good things, you just go to heaven. And I imagine most everybody's there other than Adolf Hitler or Genghis Khan, you know. When we die, as we'll see in just a moment, What happens to us is not that we float around in clouds with halos and harps and maybe wings forevermore as humanity continues to exist forevermore down here in the world. And eventually billions of years later, the Big Bang reverses, and I don't really know what happens then. That's not what happens when we die. When we die, our souls go back to God, our spirits go back to God, which gave it. And we refer to this as an intermediate or interim state. Now, to be very clear, and perhaps one reason this is a word that finds offense with some audiences, 
The idea that the souls of the redeemed go to a place of purgatory, of purging between death and the eventual resurrection is not biblical and you find absolutely zero references to purging after death in this Bible. You remember that when he by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of God, ever making intercession for us. Now, to cut to the quick, souls go to one of two places after death. The souls of the lost, the souls of the unsaved, the souls of the wicked go to a place that is referred to as torments. Now, by the way, just remember Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. All that were foreknown were predestinated. All that were predestinated are called born again. All that are called born again were justified by Christ on the cross, and all that were justified will be glorified. Every single person chosen of the Father before the foundation of the world, the innumerable host of people, shall sometime between their conception and death be quickened, will be called, and when they die, they'll be with God in spirit. So as we talk about torments, one thing I don't want you to do is to worry, because every single heir of promise, will be called from death and sin to life in Christ. And that life they are called into is what type of life? Eternal life. They shall know God, according to John chapter 17. The souls of the lost, however, go to a place that Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, referred to as torments. Now, this is a passage we know as Lazarus and the rich man. Some people refer to it as the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Your Bible might even have the heading at the top, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. If you have a list of parables in the back of your Bible, it might have Lazarus and the rich man listed as a parable. But here's what I want you to understand. If this is a parable, Jesus never once based a parable upon fiction. Some no-hellers and wannabe closet no-hellers have tried to make this out to be merely a parable because they don't like the concept of someone being in torment. Well, let God be true and every man a liar. We deserve it, except for the grace of God, there go I. God's that holy, and sin is that despicable. You and I might not understand the depths of it here in this world, but one day we will know even as we are known, and it will make a lot more sense to us after this world. If you spend a little bit of time talking to my dad about what he saw as a police officer for 20 years and a prison guard for five years, it'll make a whole lot more sense to you right now. Some of us live so sheltered lives that we don't realize how terrible wicked people abuse other people in this world. And the thought of suffering, oh, that's just terrible. You know, you can get a guy stabbing people to death and police shoot him, and they're like, why'd they shoot him? Why'd they kill him? Couldn't they just shoot him in the leg? And you're just like, what has happened to people when they don't understand that there should be judgments for things that are wrong? Luke 16, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple in this day was luxury. If you had purple in that day as a garment or a fabric or a color, it was something that was only afforded by the wealthy. Have you ever noticed that traditional churches gear more towards in their decor, in their auditoriums, a purple or a crimson? And we do that because they're royal colors. Why might those be the colors of royalty? Because those were expensive, expensive colors and expensive fabrics. This man is clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Now, if you paid attention, you notice his body was buried, his soul lives on. Where does his soul live on? This wicked man, this rich man, he lives on in torments. His soul is in torments. I am tormented in this flame in hell. And in this conversation with Abraham, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, but likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us which would come from thence. And by the way, this is not God he's speaking with, but Abraham. Who does it say? Abraham. Now, this story, if you think it's a parable, this parable ends with him saying, hey, go warn my brethren, I've got five of them, lest they come here. And he basically says, they've got Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he says, no, but they'll hear if one rise from the dead. And he said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if one rises from the dead. There are two main points in that story. Number one, there's judgment against the wicked after death. There's judgment. God will judge. Number two, the wicked will not believe even if one rises from the dead. What might that communicate to us about the reception of the gospel? Unless someone has been drawn into Christ, they're not going to believe the gospel even if someone rises from the dead. Has someone risen from the dead? The Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see the deeper meaning in this teaching that Jesus is communicating to them. But notice where the souls of the wicked go. The souls of the wicked go to a place called hell, which is a place of torments. Conversely, the souls of the saved, the righteous, the redeemed... Go to a place called paradise. And this word paradise is literally a transliteration from the Greek term. And in doing some study about that particular term, to the Persians, they believed that it was a fenced-in, well-nourished hunting ground. To the Greeks, it was a place in Hades where the good people got to go and experience a better afterlife. In the Jews' religion, it had reference to the top layer of heaven, but to the saints, it had reference to the presence of God after death. Some of these terms, like Hades, the word for hell in the New Testament is often the Greek word for Hades. Some of these terms, they borrow from other religions, but they give a new Christian definition to them and an application to them. The word for God that translates in your New Testament is the same word that would have reference to any other Greek god. But the Christians use this language, and they give their own definitions to these vocabulary words. Paradise to the Christian. Paradise in reality is to go and be with God in a place of joy and bliss after this life. As Jesus hangs upon the cross, as you know from Matthew's gospel, both thieves crucified on either side of him revile him. They both curse him. And yet one of them is changed and begins to worship him and to plead with him and to defend him to this other malefactor that is hanged there upon a cross. And he begins to say, do you not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation to this other malefactor that says, if you're really the Christ, save us? We're justly condemned. 
But this man has done nothing amiss. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, this is a man rightly condemned and executed for thievery. He's a dying thief. If I were to believe a lot of religious teaching in today's time, that man had no chance of being with Christ in glory. He couldn't be baptized, couldn't take communion, couldn't be confirmed, couldn't confess his sins to the church or to some man. And certainly... The popular notion of, well, he probably did more good than he did bad, so the scales tipped in his favor can't be true. This man is a dying thief who up until moments ago was railing on Christ. And yet now he's a changed man. God's grace reached him even at the moment of his execution. And Jesus looks at him and he doesn't say, you know what, you had your chance, too bad. Now you're getting what you deserve. Jesus says, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, because this is a child of God. He spent his entire life in wickedness, and at the very moment of his death, God changed him, saved him, quickened him, and the blood of Christ that Christ was literally shedding at that very moment in human history washed him whiter than snow, just like it washed all of you. Now, if you see yourself anything better than the dying thief, you need to look in the mirror again, because that is all of us. Unworthy sinners blessed to be with God in paradise through the death of his son. Verily shall I, I say unto thee, shall thou be with me, thou shalt be with me in paradise. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741 or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.